I know some of the Carsons are here. Where's Ona? There they are. We had a funeral this last week for Virgil Carson, and uh, he was a pillar in the work of Christ here in our community and at Gentilly Baptist Church for many years and reared his children here at First Baptist years ago. You may remember Virgil Carson. We've also lost Betty Ellender just a day or two ago. She's passed away, and her memorial service will probably be uh, tomorrow or Tuesday. And then Dr. Guy Williams went to be with the Lord, and his family is here. I see Shirley, his wife of many years. Raise your hand, family. They are all here with us, and we are grateful for the Williams family. That service is going to be at 11 o'clock tomorrow at Metairie Baptist Church, where he and Shirley have served the Lord so many years. And it's good to have many guests with us today. I know that you are gathered from the ends of the earth. Come here, and you are looking forward to your Mother's Day lunch with family. Someone asked me, well, why are you talking so much about family as you go through Genesis? And the answer to that is because Genesis is a lot about family. And last week I talked about purchase a tomb because it's here in the book. And we talked about preparing for the death of loved ones. Today I want to talk about another very relevant subject, looking for love. Genesis 24. I think this is a good text not only for those who are of marriageable age and interested in being married, but parents who have children, knowing how to pray for them, grandparents and grandchildren. So I want us to pay attention to a most remarkable text. My Rebecca is named after this Rebecca we're going to read about. I have a Rachel and Rebecca, my daughters. And this Rebecca is a woman of noble character. And I want to start in chapter 24 of Genesis, verse 1, talking about water the camels. Abraham was now old and well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed him in every way. That's a great statement, isn't it? He said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, that's Eliezer, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. So what is on this old man's mind and heart? Who his son is going to marry, the son of his old age. Sarah has died. That was the last chapter, chapter 23. They buried her. What's he thinking about now? He's thinking about Isaac and his wife, And Eliezer and Abraham have a conversation in which Abraham says, I know the Lord God is going to guide you, and you can trust him in this, and so I'm sending you. And I'm sure that Eliezer has some objections, all right? You want me to go find a wife for Isaac? Just a second, let's talk about this. 
But this is how it unfolds. Verse 10. Then the servant, that's Eliezer, took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naharim, which is the northern end of Mesopotamia, and made his way to the town of Nahor. That's the region where Abraham was from. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. I have a wood carving from Bethlehem, a woman with a jar on her shoulder at Jacob's well. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son that Milcah boarded, Nahor. And she added, We have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. And he goes in and presents his case to Bethuel and Laban, 
And we will learn about Laban later on. So you may want to note that Laban appears first in the Bible right here in the story of Rebekah. Verse 50 says, Laban and Bethuel answered, This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go. All right now. I don't know how you can read this and say that Internet dating services are excluded. All right? I mean, you send your servant, you send him to search. He's got some parameters, geographical, genealogical, relational, developmental parameters. And he goes off looking for the wife of Isaac. And it is a weighty task which he is given as he makes this trip. He's thinking about it all along the way. Eliezer is faithful to Abraham. And he's been with him virtually all his life, the oldest servant in his household. And with this responsibility, he wants to be very careful. So the old man Abraham says to the old man Eliezer, go find a wife for my son, Isaac. Eliezer has been praying and Abraham has been praying and it is okay for you to pray for success in love. It's okay. In fact, I highly recommend it. You have somebody you care about, it's okay for you to pray for success in love for that child, that grandchild, that niece, that neighbor. If Eliezer can pray for success in love for Isaac, you can pray for the folks you care about too. In fact, I noticed in Janice Hunter's prayer, that she mentioned how these parents have been praying for their children and dedicating them to the Lord long before we gather today. It's true also that many times, as we say, I do here at the altar, it is the culmination of long years of prayer by parents and grandparents who are praying to the Lord and saying, Lord, grant success in this matter. Let this be a great match for my son, my grandson, my daughter, my granddaughter. Lord, bring them the spouse you want them to have. Somebody here is probably praying that very prayer. Lord, grant me success. Help me find the one. It's interesting that in the NIV, Eliezer's prayer says, Let her be the one. Let her be the one that you have chosen for my master Isaac. Let her be the one. And I know your heart. If you are 
looking for a spouse, your heart says, oh, let me find the one. And Eliezer makes that prayer. Now, Eliezer sort of lays out a fleece, okay? And we do that sometimes too. He says, Lord, I'm going to ask somebody for a drink of water. And if she says, sure, and I'll water the camels too, let her be the one. Now, you've heard about the fleece, right? How many of you have ever laid out a fleece? See your hand. All right, there's hands going up. Some of you are a little tentative. Okay? The fleece comes from Gideon, who wasn't sure that God was talking to him, and so he laid out a fleece. He said, Lord, if this is your will, in the morning let the fleece be wet and the ground be dry. Sure enough, it was. But that didn't satisfy him. He laid it out again. If it's your will, let the fleece be dry and the ground be wet. And we make that kind of prayer sometimes too. We say, Lord, if it's your will, open the door. If it's not your will, close the door. And some of us have a standard principle. We're going to go through the open door. So if God opens doors, we're going to go through. And I don't necessarily recommend that you do this kind of fleece laying as a regular part of your prayer life. Because even though Eliezer has done this, he's laid out this fleece. You notice in the text that once Rebecca starts watering the camels, the old man sort of drops back and watches her, doesn't say a word. He's watching to see if she's the one. So even though he's made this prayer that's sort of like the fleece, if she, if she offers to water the camels, Lord, let her be the one. It's not automatic in Eliezer's mind. He's going to watch her now. And see what she does. And I think that's true for you as well. If you're laying out a fleece, particularly about love, or somebody's relationship, somebody you love, you still watch and pay attention. It may be an open door, but there may be something that checks your spirit as you watch and observe and listen and look. And Eliezer is wise enough to say, okay, I'm going to drop back and see. I don't know that there's any decision you make in life other than confessing Jesus as Lord, which more shapes your future and the possibilities and potential of your life than does the selection of a mate. What else so dramatically touches you in every conceivable way? And this relationship into which we enter, it penetrates all dimensions of our life. That's why sometimes our spouses are the ones that test us the most because we are so intimately connected to them. 
And nobody else has the kind of access they do to our heart or in our thoughts. So just get ready for it. When you enter into marriage, that's going to be a testing place for you. And God's going to put you on the anvil. And he may work on you through the personality and activities of your spouse. In fact, I am sure he will. Now, part of what we pray for is a suitable spouse. We get the word suitable from Genesis chapter 2, where Abraham gave names to all the beasts of the field and everything, but for Abraham there was not found a suitable helper for him. A suitable helper is one that corresponds to him. And I I just published a little article about that correspondence that we have with one another. When we stand nose to nose and toe to toe, how our fingers and thumbs match and our ears and our eyes and we look at one another and our mouths are in the front of our heads so we can project sound to each other and converse. I mean, that's how God designed us so we mirror each other. We correspond to one another. And all the world over, they looked. And for Adam, there was nobody who corresponded to him who was suitable for him. And so God made Eve and brought her to the man. And he said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She was the suitable partner. Suitability is a tough thing to identify and it changes through the years. You may start out with suitability requiring of you different things than it does 30 years down the line. That's why we vow to stay together when we are married in sickness and in health, in poverty and in wealth because God knows the circumstances and conditions of life change. And how do you stand at this altar and make a promise for a lifetime like Isaac and Rebecca are going to do and do it with confidence because God gives his grace to be the suitable partner to the wife of your youth and the husband of your young adulthood and your median adulthood and your senior adulthood. And as the demands of life change, the things that are required of spouses change. So what are you looking for in a spouse then? Somebody who can live all life long with you Share the joys and sorrows of life. What do you want in them? What do you need, husband, wife, to have in you so that you can be the suitable spouse for this time and place in the covenant of marriage? It's all about character. Choose a spouse of good character. When Abraham sends Eliezer off and when Eliezer prays, he's not praying, Oh, Lord, give a beautiful, wealthy woman to my servant Isaac. It's not about wealth and beauty, though she is beautiful. And maybe she is wealthy. I don't know. What does he say? 
the one who asked to water the camels. The writer of Proverbs 31 says, A virtuous woman who can find for her the price uh, of her is far more than rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her, so he has no need of anxiety. This is the woman who works with her hands, who gets up before dawn and works after dark. This virtuous woman, she provides for her children and the servants in her household. This woman of virtue smiles at the future, anticipating things to come. Her heart is not captured by fear. She is active in her world with her family, her community. She finds a field and buys it. She makes clothes with her hand. She selects the best wool. She's a woman of wisdom. Beauty is deceptive, and charm is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That's what the text says. You're looking for a spouse of noble character. Now, what possesses a young lady to water the camels? How many camels are there? How many camels are there? Ten. There are ten of these knobby-kneed beasts who walk through the desert, lumbering along. How much water can one camel drink? I've heard 30 gallons. There may be more than that. I don't know. I've never watched one drink, but I'm telling you this. When they come out of the desert and they put their nose down in that trough and start drinking, the water starts going. Have you ever hauled gallons and gallons of water to a trough? I mean, Rebecca has seen the 10 camels show up. She knows what it means to carry the water to this trough. She's going to do it until they're through drinking. However much they drink, she's just going to keep bringing the water. Eliezer is a wise old man. And he wants a wife for his master Isaac who is not afraid to work. He's looking for a hard-working lady. Somebody who is industrious. Somebody who will get after it, who will take care of the needs of the household. Somebody who is busy. I tell you what, men and women... Marry somebody who is hardworking. Not somebody who is lazy. The Proverbs have stories about the lazy person who can hardly get the food to his mouth and how poverty overtakes him and he can't provide. The Scriptures teach us that work is part of our calling as people on the planet Do you know that work was assigned to humans before there was the fall? Before there was sin? God gave them the garden and said, you tend it and keep it. This is your responsibility. This is your stewardship. 
Sometimes we connect work to bad things because part of the curse was that Adam would make his living by the sweat of his brow. But even before the curse, Adam was going to be working that garden and tilling it and caring for what God gave him. We need to embrace work as an honorable thing in activities on this planet and do our work, the scripture says, as unto the Lord. Now here is a lady who offers to water the camels. She's hardworking. She's gracious too. She's got a gracious spirit. Marry somebody with a gracious spirit, okay? Not a stingy spirit. A gracious spirit. Somebody who loves to give. Rebecca is a servant. She's got a servant's heart. You know what that kind of heart is? It's after the heart of God. God sent his son and he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. He came not to be served, but to serve. The Son of God came from heaven not to sit under the fanning of other people and enjoy the amenities of life. He came to serve others. If you marry somebody with a servant heart, you're marrying somebody who reflects the heart of God. Tell you what, beauty is fleeting. Charm is deceptive. But you find somebody who is full of grace. Somebody who is polite, like Rebecca is with this old man. She doesn't call him, all right, old man, I'll water your camels. It's not what she says. She says, yes, my Lord. She addresses him as my Lord. She has respect for other people. Marry somebody who has that kind of respect, who honors and appreciates others. Somebody who is polite in their words tells you a lot. Somebody who is gracious and hardworking. That's who Rebecca was. I read about Rebecca, and I'm glad I named my daughter after her. She's a good role model as we see her at this well. Now, she's not perfect, all right? And we're going to find out about that later on. Genesis is going to tell the whole story. And we're going to discover some things about Rebecca. Maybe she got from her dad or uncle. I'm not sure, all right? She's not perfect. And ladies, you're not perfect. And guys, you're not perfect. But I tell you what, you can build character i tell you something else character takes longer to build than a lot of other things you marry somebody who is deficient in character who is lazy ungracious expecting other people to take care of them and it can be a millstone around your neck you be careful as you select a spouse like Eliezer was, to find somebody of noble character. Sometimes we marry people thinking, I'm going to change their character, okay? They can change. Oh, I guarantee you, they can and they will change, all right? Over the years, we do change, okay? But if you find yourself at the well watching somebody and thinking, well, I think we could change her, 
Not a check inside here, okay? Get pause for thought. Let a little flag go up. Somebody said, love is blind. And there's a way in which that is true. I think it's more infatuation is blind. Sometimes desperation is blind. Sometimes we need an Eliezer to come into our life and make an observation about the ones we think we love and maybe we want to spend a lifetime with. Now, I'm a parent whose children have married. Sometimes it is very hard for the parent to say anything about a potential spouse. You hear me? Because your words are never forgotten. Okay? And so as moms and dads praying for success in love for our children, we are often very reluctant to give evaluations and talk about our impressions. And sometimes we need an Eliezer. All right? You know, we're here for one another. It is a good thing to seek counsel in this matter of love. To find somebody you know and respect and talk to them. It's a good thing. Choose a spouse of noble character. Third thing, make a commitment. Everybody in the story makes a commitment. Abraham commits himself to the decision of Eliezer. Eliezer says, I know that God's at work in this, and this is the one. Laban and Bethuel, in verse 50, say, this is the Lord's doing. What more can we say? I don't know where Laban and Bethuel are in their faith in God, but they think this is God's doing, all right? And they make a commitment. And when they say to Rebecca, well, Rebecca, what do you want to do? She says, I will go with him. She makes a commitment. Everybody in the story makes a commitment. Now, Isaac is at least 37 years old. That's pretty long in years, isn't it? The average age for a man to get married in our culture now is what? 28. 28. Women are what? 26. A little younger. I don't know how old Rebecca is. It calls her a girl here. She's probably much younger than Isaac. But wherever the Lord finds us in our journey, when we settle on the person that we believe God has for us and we enter into the bond of marriage, we make a commitment. Now, I have heard that the baby busters and Generation X, that is people younger than me, all right? I'm a boomer. We got some builders in the room. Folks that have uh, got a little gray hair on them. But I've heard that younger people are having more trouble making commitments. I don't know. But I want to tell you this now. You listen, up, you listen close. 
Success in love requires a 100% commitment. That's why you really can't check out the relationship by living together. Because this relationship of marriage only works like it's supposed to if both people are all in. 100% yours, 100% his for a lifetime, never looking back, not watching for trap doors, not looking for detours or other options. We are all in on this and we are saying I do before God and we mean it from now on till death do us part. That's the way this works. You got to be all in. Now, next week, I'm going to talk about how Isaac and Rebecca love each other. We hadn't even got to Isaac yet, all right? He's in the latter part of the chapter. But marriage works because it's not one foot in and one foot out. We don't get into discussion and start saying, well, if you do so-and-so, I'm out the door. Marriage works because two people are all in for a lifetime. And it requires that kind of commitment from us. You say, well, how can you give such a commitment? To somebody you know not, is not perfect. You do it like God gave his commitment to you. You love somebody like God's loved you. God's loved you despite your feelings, despite the difficulties. He's loved you. And he gives you this kind of unconditional love. The love that binds a marriage together is not so much eros from which we get erotic the love of romance but agape the unconditional love of God it is this kind of love that knows no boundaries that flows to the object of love out of the heart of the lover simply because the lover wills and intends to love. This is the love that binds people together in beautiful covenants. It is also the love that sustains friendships and all human relationships in life. And it is the love we learn from God. And then we imitate you say, well, how's God love me like that? He sent his one only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sin. Gave his all, laid down his life, came to be the servant, poured it all out for you. And then he said, that's how you live your life, right there. This is what life is about. 
You try to grasp it, you lose it. You try to hang on to it, you lose it. But you pour it out, you give it up, you lay it down. And you'll find real life. There's a key here to everything that happens in human community and relationships. It's the way to be in the world, laying down your life in self-giving love to your wife, to your husband, to your friends, to all God commits to your care brings into your circle of relationship. You start learning this kind of love as you encounter the God who loves you. We always end our services by saying, you have an opportunity to make a step, to move forward, to make progress, even in the area of love, to say, Lord, today, I want to open my heart to you so that your amazing love can pour into me. Jesus died on the cross. I believe it. He died for my sin. I believe it. And I receive him as Lord and acknowledge his love. Somebody in the room says, well... I have failed or fallen or it didn't work out for me. I knew God's ideal, but we never made it. Well, I want you to know this room is full of grace. Amen? This is a grace place. We live in grace not just the moment we trust Jesus, but every moment of our lives. We breathe it in and exhale it out. We, we swim in it. It beams down from God like the sunshine all over this planet. We live in grace, and there are no dead ends for you. Not in God's grace. Not in God's love. Oh, yeah. It's often the story that it all falls apart. But we serve a God who, like Janice Hunter prayed, lifts us out from the place where we're stuck and puts us back on the rock. And that may be the step God wants you to take, is to say, Lord, here am I, stuck in this pit. And I want out emotionally, spiritually. I want out of this hole. I want back on solid rock and the grace of God can scoop you out cleanse you clean make you new set you back in a brand new place he has the power to do that there are no dead ends in his grace bow with me please Father God today we acknowledge you as Lord of heaven and earth just as Abraham said here Mighty Father, King over all, Lord of our world and of our hearts, we ask you to do your work in us today. Lord, I pray for those that need healing, 
because they are broken, that you will mend the broken places, that you will apply your grace to the wounded heart. I pray for those who are looking, that you will direct their eyes to love that is true. God, I pray that you will help us have success in love as husbands and wives, but also as people and friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, let your love surround us and call us to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.